You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we're going to talk about courageous worship. And I love the title of the series that you have been in called Holy Roar. Um, I believe with all of my heart that our worship should be a roar. Um, Pastor Jason did a great job of leading us today in the songs that he chose. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And um, to do this, I don't, I don't do this all the time when I preach, but I'm going to do it today. And um, it may be unusual for you, but I'm going to ask that everyone grab your Bible and stand. Would you do that this morning? Go ahead and stand. And I know when I say grab your Bible, for a lot of you, that means your phone. That's perfectly acceptable. Um, I can tell I'm in a church that embraces technology. So for some of you older generation, you brought your Bibles with you today, and that is awesome. I brought my sword with me too. But if you have your phone, open it up. And turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And what we're going to do is um, I want us to read God's word together. And um, we're going to dive into another portion of scripture as we talk more about what it means to worship courageously. But I want to kick things off with this. So if you would, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 through 15 together. Now, I understand that we're probably all reading from different versions. That's okay. And um, we're going to do it together. So I'm reading out of the New Living. But whatever version you have today, let's read this together. Let's start at verse 8, chapter 13. Here we go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priest and the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. And the last verse together. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are truly Emmanuel, God with us, which means you're here. There's no mediator that's needed today for us to enter in your presence because Jesus came and did that. So I thank you for the spirit of God that is in this place. And as we opened your word, I ask that that same spirit would speak to us. No one needs to hear from Alan today. No one needs my opinion or thoughts. They need yours. So would you speak through this vessel today? Would you encourage those who are brokenhearted? Lord, would you empower us to worship courageously in a world that so desperately needs it. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Thanks for entertaining me this morning as we read God's word together. So what does all that mean? What does all that mean when they were talking about 
priests sacrificing animals and the priests can't do it today at the altar and they took some animals and they went outside the camp. To give you a little background before we get to a particular verse in that, in that section, the writer of Hebrews is telling the Christians, the early Christians at that time, that, hey, there used to be an old system of sacrifice. And you may remember this from Sunday school. I'm sure Pastor Nick has taught this before. But the old system of Judaism was that there was a mediator between the people of God and God himself. Priests and kings were the only ones, they were the mediators. Priests were the ones that made the sacrifices for the people. God spoke through kings. And so for the average person, the people of God, the Israelites, they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. Priests made that sacrifice for them. So we know that in the New Testament, Jesus came and he became what? He became the ultimate sacrifice so that today when we gathered and Pastor Jason led us in worship and we sang, each and every one of us have the ability to go boldly and confidently into the presence of God. Now that verse in there that talked about when he said, we have an altar from which priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. And it said, under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside. There were only two sacrifices in which the priests could not eat of the animals that they sacrificed and burned. Let me explain that further. So when the priest made a sacrifice, they would kill the animal. They would sacrifice it unto the Lord. The priest would take that meat from the animal and they could use that in the priest's home. But there were only two sacrifices that the priests were not allowed to partake of. And one was for sin and the other is on the day of atonement. In that case, when they sacrificed those animals, they took those animals and burned them outside the camp. If you're with me, say, I got you. Okay. Now, here's the New Testament picture. Jesus comes. We understand that his death on a cross was a sacrifice for what? Our sin. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside of the walls of Jerusalem. So Jesus being crucified as a sacrifice, redeeming us for our sin, is a New Testament picture of what happened in the Old Testament. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Understand that Jesus was sacrificed outside the camp as a sin offering, as an atonement for the sins of you and I. And then here is the text that I want us to focus on. Hebrews 13, verse 13. The writer says, so let us go out to him outside the camp. Everyone say outside the camp. And bear the disgrace that he bore. So the writer of Hebrews was saying, he was painting a picture of a New Testament sacrifice, but then he goes beyond. And he says to these early Christians, God has called you to go outside the camp. Jesus was rejected, he was persecuted, he was scoffed and he was scorned and he was killed outside the walls of Jerusalem, outside the familiarity, outside the comfortableness, outside of Judaism, which was the accepted religion within the government of Rome. And he's calling these Christians to go outside of the camp, and I believe that same message is true for you and I today. Today, Jesus calls us to be courageous and to take our worship outside the camp. 
See, I was I talking about what I loved about Pastor Nick is his heart is for you as, as his congregation, as the shepherd that God has put here for this church. But you can hear it in Pastor Nick's DNA that he has a heart for the walls outside and beyond. He talks about the community. He talks about the schools. He was telling me about the superintendents of the different school um, directors that he has brought in. I love it in the hallway. You have pictures of I think Norwin High School there, and there's a local business. There's a, there's a passion, and there's a spirit in this man's heart for beyond the walls. Because if we're really honest as Christians, a lot of times we like to keep things in. And the walls protect us from the evil culture and the evil world that is bound. But today, I believe with all of our heart, God has called us to go beyond the walls and to express our worship courageously. So one of my favorite movies, my favorite style of movies I don't know if any of you are with me, but I love thrillers. Like, you know those movies when you watch, and say it's a two-hour movie, and for about an hour and 45 minutes, you're just going, and you're, like, wondering what's gone. And then, like, you think you got it all figured out, and then the last 60 seconds, you're like, <gasps> and it changes. How many of you are with me? Okay, a few of you. How many of you like those movies, too? All right, so spoiler alert. Now, this is an older movie, but I'm going to ruin it for you. So if you've never seen it, you just don't need to watch it. So there's a movie called The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. How many of you have ever seen it? It's okay. We won't, you won't, okay, we're good. All right, so this movie is, is one of my favorite movies, and it, and it goes to this point. So when you start watching the movie, it's a movie that, it's about in the 1800s, and they cook their own food, and they live in these tents, and it, it's like Little House in the Prairie Land. And and you get towards, and, and no one's allowed to leave, and it's super protective. And you're watching this entire movie, and you just think it's a movie about this culture and about this time. And then all of a sudden, someone in this village has a horrible accident and gets hurt. And all of a sudden, you find out, and this is the ha ah moment, you find out that this is a modern-day movie, that it's a group of people for the original families that started this village, that something horrific had happened in their life. Their spouse died of cancer. Their child died in a car accident. And so what they did was they found this property and they created this village in which they believed no harm could ever come to them. And they were going to create a society with kids and culture where they were going to keep everything in here because the evil world couldn't hurt them. But all of a sudden... They needed to go outside and get help. We become like that a lot of times in Christ, as Christians. We want to create a village and a Christian culture where the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And we want to raise our kids and protect our kids and, and keep in a Christian community where we don't want to be corrupted. And we don't want to go outside of the walls. And today, Jesus calls us to take our worship outside the walls and for it to be courageous. That same chapter, the writer says, for this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, what? Let us offer a sacrifice of praise. The writer of Hebrews is saying, take your sacrifice of praise outside the camp. Go outside the walls. So what does that mean? What does courageous worship look like? What does authentic worship look like? One of my favorite verses in the Bible, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible is actually Romans 12. Because a lot of times when we talk about worship, 
we think of guitars, we think of piano, we think of drums and singing. And while all of those things do incorporate worship, worship is far more than that. Do you understand? Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, to present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And it says, which is your spiritual form of worship. So worship, yes, is singing. It's lifting our voice. It's dancing. It's, it's using all of our energies and our gift to sing a song of praise to God. That is biblical. But worship also continues and goes beyond these doors right here. It means when you leave today and you go to a restaurant and your service isn't quite as fast as you expect it to be, your response is worship. It means when you go to work tomorrow and you get the email from your boss that you don't like, your response is worship. It means that whatever you do, whatever you say, how you live, how you parent, and your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your loved ones, your neighbors, your enemies, those who like you, those who don't like you, those who vote like you, and those who don't. Your response is worship. In all that you do, your living body is a sacrifice of praise to him. And that's a spiritual form of worship. So when we talk about worship today, we're not just talking about singing. So now to the text today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 16th chapter of Acts. There is a phenomenal story. of The Apostle Paul, Silas, Timothy... And the author of the book of Acts, Luke. They have three encounters with three people that today I believe give us three simple principles of what it means to worship courageously. And I'm going to throw in the word contagiously. Because I think that's what our culture and our world needs today. So let's look at this. If you have it in Acts chapter 16. Now let me set this up for us here. Acts chapter 16 is the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. See, God gives the Apostle Paul a vision. And in this vision, an angel comes and says, you're to go to Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. And so it's Paul, it's Timothy, his understudy, if you will, and Silas, and the writer of Acts, and the Gospel of Luke, Luke. And they sail off, and they go to a city of Philippi. Now, Philippi is nine miles inland as they cross the Aegean Sea. And Philippi is a Roman colony. And so they go there, and as we're going to find out in just a minute, there's no synagogue there. And it's here in the city of Philippi and in the 16th chapter of Acts that Luke tells us of this encounter, as I said, with three individuals. There's a woman named Lydia. There's a slave girl and a jailer. And these encounters give us a great illustration of worship in the early church and what God calls us to today. Three encounters with three people that give us three lessons of worship. And here's the first one. Here's the first lesson. I believe with all of our heart, God would say to the church of Jesus Christ today that our worship must be authentic. Say authentic. Our worship must be authentic. What do you mean by that? Let me read Acts chapter 16. We're going to start at verse 12. If you're with me, follow along. Luke writes in Acts chapter 16, verse 12, From there we reached Philippi. It was a major city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we stayed there several several days. 
On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some woman, women who had gathered there. Now understand this. Just pause for a second. There wasn't a synagogue in the city of Philippi. So the Bible tells us, and what we understand is that there were women who gathered to pray outside of the city. You have to understand that Judaism was an accepted form of religion in Rome. It was actually, they, they pretty much left the Jews alone if you were a part of Judaism. But early Christianity was really considered a cult. And especially for men, it was difficult um, for men because they received a lot of persecution. So women was a little bit easier. The Roman government was less, um, was less hard on women at that time. So it is, isn't unlikely that this was a church gathered outside of the city with mostly women. And that's where Paul and the other guys are there, and they're meeting for prayer. And it says on verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. And here we go. Verse 14, one of them was Lydia, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted Paul was saying. There's something in that verse that always struck me as odd. The Bible says there that he meets Lydia, who is a wealthy businesswoman, says she dealt in fine purple cloth. She wasn't actually from Philippi. She was from an area that had purple merchants and cloth, and that's where she was from. And the Bible says, and Luke writes, that she worshiped God. But then, half a verse later, says, but the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. Does that strike you as odd? So wait a minute, I, I thought she worshiped God. So here's all of a sudden what, what I believe the writer's telling us about Lydia. Lydia followed all the motions of worship, but her heart was still closed to Jesus. Do you know that it's possible to go through all the motions in worship to sing like a Christian, to dress like a Christian, to talk like a Christian, and to all the Christian things and still have your heart closed to the things of God. You know that to be true. But Lydia's heart was opened. You see, the world, if we're, if we're to go outside the camp, the type of worship the world needs to see is authentic worship. It doesn't, we have enough Christians in the world who come in and sing the songs and dress nice and say all the right things and then when they leave and something goes south or like I said their food isn't quite right at the restaurant all of a sudden they turn into a heathen our worship must be authentic you've got to be out there what you are in here my wife and I moved to Pittsburgh about 10 years ago from Houston and my wife is here today and um, at great risk I'm going to embarrass her for one moment but I'm not going to show you where she's at. <laughs> if you know me at all, and like we ate at Chick-fil-A last night, and if you know me at all, I like love ketchup. I mean, like those Chick-fil-A ketchup packets, I will go through like seven of them with one waffle fry. Does anybody understand, like with me on that? Like, I mean, and my kids, and they make fun of me. Like, that's disgusting. Like, can you even tape? I just love ketchup. So we moved here, I said, about 10 years ago. And one day, I don't know what we were eating at the time, but we, we, get, we set the table and we get out, and there's a Hunt's bottle of ketchup on our table. Hunt's. 
Like, I didn't even know they sold hunts in Pittsburgh. Like, how is that possible? So you have to know the relationship between my wife and I. But, like, I went on and on. I'm like, where did you? It was on sale. I don't care if it, I don't care if they were passing them out for free. We don't eat hunts. Like, can you please go and get some Heinz ketchup so we could, and it just went on and on. But how many of you know, Hunts looks like ketchup, the packaging is like ketchup, but when you put it in your mouth, you go, ah! Why? Because it doesn't taste good. And if our worship isn't authentic and we take it outside of the walls, if we take it outside of the camp, the world will go, ah, to our Christianity if it's not authentic. The world needs authentic Christianity. God doesn't want our, mo- our worship to be just emotion or ritual. He wants us to open our hearts so that we would respond and follow to God's word. And as we go outside the camp now more than ever, the world needs to see authentic worship. Here's the second one. This is really the title, but our, world, our worship needs to be courageous. Our worship needs to be courageous. So the story in Acts chapter 16, for time's sake, I'm just going to share it with you. But a few days later, they leave Lydia and they, they actually go to her house and her household is saved. But they go back to the place of prayer. And while they're headed back to this place of prayer, there's a slave girl. She's a slave to these owners. And the Bible tells us that she's a fortune teller. And she was demon possessed. And she could tell the future and her owners would make money off of her because people would pay them to find out the future. And she must have been annoying Paul and the other apostles. The Bible says that she was saying, these are men who serve the most high and they're telling you how to be saved. And she's yelling, yelling, yelling. And to the point, the apostle Paul gets so sick of it. He looks at this slave girl and he says, in the name of Jesus, leave her. And the demon leaves. And that's awesome, right? The slave girl is free from this demonic spirit. But the apostle Paul and Silas ticked off the slave owners because now they can't make money off of her. And the Bible says that in Acts chapter 16, verse 19 and 21, her master's hopes of wealth were all shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. And they said, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. As I told you, Judaism was accepted, but this new version of Christianity, this this message of Jesus, this good news that that set the oppressed free, that looked out for widows and children, that challenged the power of the day and said, God has given you that power. What are you going to do with it? All of a sudden, this early Christianity, the Apostle Paul was challenging that. And they had ticked off the slave owners in the city of Philippi. Courageous worship that goes outside the camp, it will challenge and it will upset the culture of our day. So each and every one of us have to be prepared and understand that when your worship is authentic, when you take this good news and you live out the message of Jesus and the gospels, when you live that out outside the the walls, when you go outside the camp and your worship is authentic, you had better be ready because there will be a price that's paid. 
But God wants us to be courageous, courageous in that. He wants us to be bold in that. And if I could take it a step further, you better be ready because authentic worship might also challenge the religious leaders of the day that are inside the church. I'm sure that has never happened here in this church. But when all of a sudden you start challenging the, the norm and, and, and doing things that are, that are different where you're, you're caring for the poor and, and you're saying, you know what, I don't care where you're at. If the drug addict walks in the, in the, in the, through the back of the room and sits in the pew and say, you're loved and you're welcomed here just as you are. When the drunk walks in and you love them and you put your arm around them and said, God wants his best for you, you're welcomed here. That challenges the religious leaders of the day. But it's courageous and it's bold. So you better be ready when your worship is authentic. You're going to have to be bold and courageous. And here's a third one. Our worship has to be authentic. It has to be courageous. And it has to be constant. It has to be continual. Our worship, when we go outside the camp, you better be authentic. You better be bold in your faith. You better be courageous in your worship. But you would also better be constant and continual. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22, continuing this story, they free the slave girl, the demonic spirit, and then the Bible says that a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. I mean, think about this. We Sometimes we, we just gloss over that. Here are men, Paul and Silas, that freed a slave girl of a demonic spirit. They stripped them naked. They beat them with wooden rods, and they put them in an inner cold jail cell for being authentic and being courageous. But then this is the part of the story that we know and that we love. It says the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet to the stocks, and around midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And I love this line. The other prisoners were listening. In the middle of their horrible circumstance, as we sung earlier, a melody was their weapon. In the middle of being stripped naked and beaten and in a cold prison, they decided that they were going to sing. Can't you picture it? And I don't know about you, but I'd have a hard time in that moment <laughs> going, God, I think I just want to worship you right now with my voice. And I don't know what they sang, but maybe they did this. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust thee. How him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace. When your worship is authentic and it's bold and courageous, you can expect there to be pushback. We find ourselves so often chasing the shadow of our past. We can't outrun it. We try to outrun it. We try so hard, but we can't. And it keeps following us. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus died upon the cross, not so that we can hang it in a church, not so that we can wear it around our neck. He died upon a cross to remove that shadow. 
that you don't have to be defined any longer by your past, by your mistakes, that you can carry a new identity. The Bible says that you can be a new creation in Christ Jesus, that that identity shifts. And it's no longer about what I can get for myself. It's no longer about how do I outrun my past. It now becomes about, God, how can I ultimately accomplish your purpose for my life? Life becomes fulfilled, purposeful. You see progress because you're denying momentary pleasure. And in a minute, we're going to pray. Maybe you're here and say, Nick, I've been trying to figure this out for so long. I've been trying to take responsibility for my own life. And I believe the first step in taking responsibility for your life is recognizing the one who ultimately has responsibility. It's your creator. It's God. It's what he did through his son Jesus on the cross. Taking responsibility for your life and saying, I want to forgive you of every wrong you have ever done. And not just that, because that's cool. That's your past. But he has a future for you. And I've got an amazing dream for your life. A plan for your life that would blow your socks off if you knew it. God has that for your life. And then when he can forgive you of your past and all that baggage, you get to step into this new life as a new creation in Christ Jesus and become what only God could have ever envisioned for you to be. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, for the blessings you've given us. God, so often we keep our eyes forward and and, and wanting more, experiencing more and trying to get more pleasure and comfort. God, let us recognize, as we read about today, the blessings you've already placed under our care. God, let us find satisfaction, contentment in what you've given us. God, today, as we take this opportunity to pray, Lord, I know there are those that they've been trying to take that responsibility for themselves. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just speak to them. Let them see the responsibility you've taken as you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place, taking the consequences that we deserve upon your shoulders. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here, you can say, Nick, I've never taken that step to follow Jesus. I've never experienced his forgiveness. I've never stepped into his purpose. In a minute, I'm gonna count to three. I'm just gonna ask you to reach your hand toward heaven. And that's not something crazy. There's no super spiritual thing that happens in that moment. It's you making an act of your will. That momentary, denying that momentary pleasure, you know, I'm not gonna just sit here and be quiet, but I'm gonna raise my hand for lasting progress. I'm gonna begin this amazing journey of stepping into the purpose I was created for, experiencing the forgiveness of my past. If that's you, on the count of three, one, two, three, would you reach your hand toward heaven this morning? We're gonna pray together. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else today? Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer with me together. This isn't like a magic prayer, nothing super spiritual about it, nothing crazy about it. This is really just a conversation with God that I want to lead you in. Maybe you're not comfortable or or used to having conversations with God. That's all prayer is. I want to lead you in that to to hopefully start a wonderful habit of talking to God in in every area of your life and every day of your life. Would you all pray this prayer with me together, whether you raised your hand or not? Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for taking responsibility for that which I didn't have the power takes responsibility for myself. Today I accept your forgiveness. I commit to live for your purposes. Give me the strength and the courage to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Before we go, This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 